bringing relevant and engaging insights to human resource and talent development professionals. This is Talent Champions with Diana Thomas, sponsored by Franklin Covey. Here is your host, Diana Thomas. Welcome to another episode of Talent Champions. I'm Diana Thomas, and I'm honored to serve as your host. Today, we have such a fascinating guest that I know you will enjoy hearing from, Jason Troy. Jason's the Chief People Officer with Unstoppable Workplaces. They deliver programs that help teams break through dysfunction and become high performers. He's the author of Social Wealth, How to Build Extraordinary Relationships by Transforming the Way We Live, Love, Lead, and Network. I love that title. He's developed the very popular game, Cards Against Mundanity. Jason has a master's degree in law and communications from Syracuse. Our topic for today is building effective teams through engagement. Welcome, Jason. Hey, thanks for having me on the show and speaking to your fantastic tribe. And I love the title of the podcast because I think it's really about the people these days and about building, you know, champions inside your organization. Yeah, we've got a great following, a great audience, both people that work for corporate and lead talent areas, as well as leaders who really want to be the best leaders of the talent and the people they have in their organizations. So it's a a pretty cool spot. And we love having guests with your kind of expertise to help our audience learn new things, get access to different resources, and continue to grow and learn. So excited about today. But before we get into our topic, could you share a little bit about your background? background and what brought you to the place that you're in today? Sure. Well, I think like everyone else listening, um, for the most part, it's been a windy road. I started out in law school and gave my master's in communications. And then I decided I didn't want to really go down that route and was a rebel. And after I graduated, went west out to Silicon Valley Um, because I love technology, and it was just something that fascinated me. So I got to go work out there during the gold rush. I got to work at Pixar and Apple with Steve Jobs. I got to work with the current CEO of Netflix. I got to work with Mark Cuban when his company got acquired at Yahoo, and a lot of well-known venture capitalists today and organizations and companies and And I got to work with great leaders who did stupid things and poor leaders who got poor results and everywhere in between. And so I got to really learn a lot of things that people did right, wrong, and also how they were building cultures and teams. And it was just something that always fascinated me throughout my career. And then I decided to start my own business as a side hustle. And I found someone had an existing business that I could leverage and shared some of my own IP and said to myself, well, if I can sell something and someone will pay a dollar, then I have something here. And if I leverage someone else, I don't need to use really any capital. And if it doesn't work, just move on. So, but it has, so. Great attitude and just impressive windy path and the people that you met along the way. Yeah. Cool. So as we turn our focus to building effective teams, which seems to be a priority for everyone, and doing it through this engagement. Employee engagement seems to be such a buzzword and a hot topic today. So maybe to help frame our conversation, could you define employee engagement and how it's most accurately measured? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's ultimately getting the most out of every individual, right? And getting them to be as productive and getting the behaviors that you desire in those employees. And I think when you can create those things, you get people to work at their maximum level, right? And when you can get enough people to do that in an organization, that's when you can create some pretty amazing things and create some extraordinary businesses, right? And you can think of a lot of startup companies, that's exactly what they were able to do. You know, you can measure employee engagement in a lot of things. I mean, you can do surveys, you can do pulses. There's a lot of things that you can do with individuals to figure out, I think, creating some metrics um, depending on your organization to look at it. And I think more importantly, it's about the philosophy coming from the top down and the actions you take to create an atmosphere and an environment where you can bring the best out of people and also create that connection and belonging that people desire. And I think if you want to look at a great model of a company, you can just Google WD-40. And in fact, they use their employee surveys, engagement and experience questions on their earnings calls and share them. Um, and they've really built that whole model from the top down into everything that they do. And their results are pretty extraordinary. I mean, they have like 400 people, I think, the last time I looked at it. And they're over $2 billion in revenue. And they barely, I don't even know if they've had a down quarter um, in a really, really long time. I mean, even through 07 and 08 and all the rest of the things that are required, like a lot of companies fell down. I think the key thing is when you can figure out how to create an entire organization like that, you can get the most out of people and they don't want to leave, right? That's the other thing. It, it costs a lot of money for someone else to poach someone out of there. And so that also makes it that someone won't leave unless they're offering a significant amount of money. So there's a lot of benefits to creating this model other than just the production side of things. I really like how you defined it because I, I interact with a variety of people and sometimes on the HR side or people side, we start to talk about it from the employee's perspective first. You know, what does engagement mean? They feel like they are connected, they belong, they support the purpose, which is all great. But I loved as a, as a prior leader myself and as somebody who coaches a lot of executives, I love how you started is getting the most out of your individuals, ensuring that they you could bring out their 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 best. So it it really is smart for leaders to focus on employee engagement. It's not just a kind of fluffy nice to do things. It really does help the bottom line and, and that came through in your definition so much. So are there some other employee engagement efforts that you see companies implementing that are really working that you could share with our audience? I think in a lot of them now are probably smaller organizations that have done significantly well. There's a company on Boston called Drift. I mean, a lot of them are technology examples. I've found like Basecamp that are doing it. But you can see companies like Patagonia that have done well. REI, I know, have done some great efforts. I mean, there are a lot of other places that are doing some pretty progressive things across the board, but it's the wild, wild west. And I think the challenge is, is that 
people have focused on areas like technology for like the last 40 years. Well, they haven't focused on people really. It hasn't been a priority. It's pretty much not uniform across the board. Like people aren't doing the same things. And, and although they have metrics around it that are working, the buy-in from the top is still somewhat shaky in the things that they're doing. And they haven't figured out all the tools and resources to actually roll this thing out and make it effective. So I think that becomes the challenge in a lot of this stuff today, right? We, it, it's really a lot of experimentation and then figuring out how to measure it afterwards. So the investment piece of it and the prioritization um, is where I think a lot of the challenges lie and, and lack of uniformity. I was just talking to a leader the other day and, and they had invested so much money in revamping their office space to make it more millennial friendly since the bulk of their newer entry level uh, individuals are millennials and nobody's using it. I love what you also said because I, I also see it as this buy-in from the top is so important. And if that's not solid and you're experimenting and you don't have your employees involved in giving you the feedback on what they want, the chances of you coming across the right mix of things to get this this uh, optimal employee engagement uh, is going to be pretty slim. So maybe could you share with us, are there some fundamental principles needed to build a strong engagement or processes that would you'd recommend? I think the challenge today is that people really don't get what people really want. I was reading a researcher out of Harvard, and I, I've been talking to some analysts probably the last four or five months, and them digging into the research and figuring out, okay, what do really employees want? And when you look at it and you parse things and you peel back the onion and you get to the center, you get really two things. People want to do great work. Like they want to feel like they're doing something that's making an impact and they're being successful. And the second part of it is they want to feel like they matter to the people around them, right? So you can think about connection, belonging, some level of socialization. And those are what they want. It isn't everything else because last year perks grew by like 34% and, and you don't see retention rates um, going up. I have some friends, an example in Silicon Valley, where literally everything is paid for that they do. I mean, they don't do their laundry. They don't go to the grocery store, nothing, anything. <laughs> and, and both of them are in a position where they just don't love what they do and love the organization. And so they are looking for other opportunities. So the fact that they have all these perks and benefits don't even matter because they don't enjoy their work and they don't love the people that are around. You have to create that environment and that's why creating the culture itself and the elements of great engagement and employee experience matter so much to people. More so even than things like purpose. I think people talk about that, but I think ultimately you find your purpose when you do great work and see the impact because it comes much clearer to you and the people around you that matter, care for you, have your backs. And so I sometimes think purpose is just a lagging indicator. People use that because they're not happy. And so they're like, well, I can't find my purpose. So then they do that. But people at WD-40 
if you look at their data that they publish, they have a spray can, right? So it's not like they're doing something that is revolutionary, right, in nature, and it's, it's a commodity, but people love it and they feel purposeful in their actions. I've talked to nonprofits who are doing an amazing thing and people feel like they're not making a difference and finding their purpose. So I, mean, I think it's something where you fundamentally have to go back to the same things that people really valued all along, they're still there. Because people are people. We just try to overcomplicate things and call millennials that they wanted these offices, right? Well, they didn't really want them. So if they asked the people what they really wanted and got down to it, I'm sure they wouldn't mind new office space, right? But that's not really what they wanted down deep. Great insights. People want to enjoy the work and they want to really like the people that they work with. And if you have those two things, then you've got them engaged. Or a couple episodes back, I did a podcast with two professors, uh, David and Brooks, and they wrote an article about why people quit for um, Harvard Business Review. And I just found the concepts of this embeddedness. If somebody isn't really embedded in the company, they're not going to leave. And what embeds them? Like you said, that's a great fact in regards to perks. You see companies increasing the perks, but retention's not increasing. So if you could really find out, and it's gotta be different, like you said, for companies are exploring this, is what really gets your people jazzed up so they enjoy the work and they enjoy the people around them. I think part of the key thing is you have to measure it, I think, in two ways. I'm a big believer in doing it more often than not because I think otherwise it's it's such a lagging indicator. And then I think what companies are doing like uh, Workday, is they're doing pulses every week and they're doing different questions to people and, and it's optional. You don't have to submit, but they're using questions from great planes like Trust Index. Those are great questions to ask and ask different ones throughout the organization so you can get a better idea of what's going on for people and send them weekly. So there's a lot of things that you can do to start to see what's going on and get a better picture of what's happening. It's just feedback, right, is the ultimate thing that people need to embed in every layer and constantly be getting it and talking to people in the organization. That's where you're going to find the information out from, not sitting in your office or thinking about it. Yeah. One of the challenging things, as we both coach executives, too, is the higher a leader goes up in the organization, the harder it is for them to get honest feedback about what's really happening, about who's doing the work, about the right things to focus on. So I was just coaching an executive the other day, and he's just been promoted. And he's like, I've got to figure out how to keep and stay close to my people the same way I did when I had a smaller staff and I could interact with them one-on-one. So we were just kind of brainstorming ideas. But Based on what you've seen, are there some things that leaders can be doing to get the right feedback about what their people are enjoying or not enjoying or the teams or the people they're working with? Any quick suggestions you could share? Yeah, well, I think your point is great about leaders. And and the problem goes back, I was reading a study that's probably like two or three years old, and they interviewed 5,000 senior leaders and had their employees um, fill out the same thing. And, and it was to self-rate themselves across 20 different leadership categories, like, you know, how well do I communicate? How well do I give feedback? And when they looked at the data, 
um, the senior leaders out of the 19 out of 20 categories, they significantly overrated themselves compared to what other people viewed them as, right? So I think that goes to show you when it comes to a lot of things that they're not getting that data from other people across the board, right? Well, one, because they don't understand themselves. So the self-awareness we're not really talking about, but that's a core piece of this. But I think when it comes to feedback, they need to be doing breakfast or lunches with frontline workers, right? Be asking questions in their one-on-ones with their people. Um, you know, ask questions like, on a, one, on a scale of one to 10, how would you rate our relationship? One being poor, 10 being extraordinary. Why? And how can I move it closer to a 10? To try to build better relationships with their people, right? And then part of it is that a lot of this requires leaders and managers in the middle of the organization to spend a lot more training and development, especially on softer power skills, which are a lot harder because they're the ones running the business ultimately and closest to it. And that's not happening. I mean, training is super poor across the board and they're doing too much video training, which I think can help, but people will push that aside when they're busy. They won't watch it. They won't retain it. And then I think a lot of it is really just mapping out the employee experience from starting to end, right? And realizing the things and the foundational elements that need to happen. And one of them that I find is at a crisis level and no one knows what to do with is just building trust, right? And people will always tell me things like, oh, well, I, I build trust of the people around me. And then I ask the question, okay, so how do you do that specifically? What tools, techniques do you do that? And how do you operationalize it like you would a supply chain? Because that way you do with everyone you're doing and you do it across an organization. It wouldn't matter if the organization were 10 people or 100,000 and I get blank stares and no one answers. And I said, you know, the basis of every relationship is trust. And so if you don't know and you don't have a process, everything you're doing, you, you could be building a house on sand and you're not even sure of it. But I still get blank stares back because and people aren't doing it today. And I think that becomes the problem when you think about employee experience and employee engagement. You have a foundation you have to build off of. And when you don't do that, then the leaves on the tree are a lot of these programs and things that are offering people. Well, of course they're uptake and it's good, right? Of course all this stuff, because the roots of the tree are dead or dying or really in a poor place. Trust is elusive. People are like, I want it and I know when it's not there, but how do yes. I build it? And I love that you tie this into employee engagement because if you don't trust your workers, you're not going to love them. You're not going to love working there. If you don't trust your boss, you're not going to love it and you're not going to love him or her. So maybe give us a little bit more on some of the things that you've been doing to coach people to build a more trusting environment. One of the things to look at is by Amy Edmondson, who's at Harvard researcher, and you can look up Project Aristotle. And what Google end up finding is the number one factor for all their high-performing teams globally, no matter where they were located, was psychological safety. And that's the ability on a team to take risks, right? Take chances, speak your mind, offer differing opinions. So you get diversity of thinking. Um, you can fail fast, make mistakes, as long as you learn from it, right? Well, in order for someone to do that and speak up, they have to have a level of trust with everyone around or that doesn't happen. 
And the problem is, is that there's very little psychological safety in today's workforce in general and today's organizations. And people always say that there is, but then you ask the people working for them and they give completely different answers in it. Well, if you look at that, then the key thing is how do I build group trust? How do I build individual trust all the way down? And I think that is done through vulnerability and through sharing, right? And sharing experiences that you have to realize that everyone here is similar to you. Everyone here has done at heartbreaks, at successes, and knowing what those are. So I find that when you can get in a group of people and ask a lot of questions, you can get to know them significantly better. On the flip side of that, I think is if you explicitly start to figure out how people work and have them tell you what they like, what they don't like, right? And one of the ways to do that part of it is to create a how to work with me manual. There are a lot of great managers I've spoken to that are doing some form of it, which is essentially a bunch of questions that they have their team fill out and they give it to new team members that come in and or the, when they're working on different teams, they can actually share with other people. And there are things such as, tell me, your, you know, what are your pet peeves? Um, if you're having a bad day, how can I help you get in a better mood? If I have difficult conversation, how can I best approach you with this? What are some steps to earn your trust really quickly? Like, how do I best communicate with you? And when you can put that down, right, and be really explicit in the things that you're doing, um, I think that you can do that. And then the third leg would be just finding ways to get feedback, like I said, from everyone and creating that on a constant basis and getting that so you know what's happening and you have people that are willing to speak their truth to you. So you understand where the relationships are, either an individual, a group, a team, a division, or, or organizational-wide. There's so many things that you just said that we could do a whole episode on, some great, great insights. I absolutely love this idea of how to manage me better manual. And if you knew some of the things that you described, you know, in regards to a person's pet peeves, or how do you get them in a better mood if they're having a bad day? Just some wonderful insights. And if I was an employee, and I was asked those things, I'd be like, wow, this is kind of a little different. And this person or this team must care about me. So love that. And maybe we can even share more of that as a follow up in regards to um, those that sign up to get this uh, email, you know, some some additional insights instead of people trying to to rewind and make sure they got all of those things that should be included. So great idea and not that hard to implement. And it's not going to cost you as much as revamping your office space, right? Yeah, and the thing about it is, is that what causes people stress is having to predict and analyze what other people want and need and do. And what happens is, is the people that are like you, you don't have those problems with. So what that actually does is it reinforces a lack of diversity because you tend to rotate towards those people instead of opening yourselves up. But you'd open yourself up more if the people that weren't like you, you understood how to interact with them and didn't have to make mistakes or get mad and then hopefully figure out what's going wrong. Most people don't, so they just dislike people because they're different and they stepped on them for doing a pet peeve and the other person never told them that was their pet peeve, right? They never have that conversation and they may keep doing it 
and simple thing like pet peeves. I've had people tell me like a pet peeve would be giving them something in red ink. I've had another person say, if I haven't had my second cup of coffee and you bring me a problem or a challenge, I'm really not going to be happy. Like there are things that are super difficult to figure out unless someone actually told you. So if someone did tell you, it'd be way easier and you wouldn't have to guess and it'd be less work and you'd be more successful and reduce your stress and problems in dealing with people um, in all facets of an organization and company. Yeah. I was just thinking about, wow, when you get married, you should have your spouse fill this out instead of, yeah. you know, 30 some years now, I've really figured out what my husband's pet peeves are, you know? <laughs> no, The, and, the and, manual would have been so much more effective. Right. The problem is, is like going to Ikea or, a compl- or getting something home that everyone here has had something where they've had to assemble it at some point in their life that was super complicated, that they were like, these instructions were written by an idiot or no one that understood it. Well, if you had clear instructions, right, and they pretty much told you all the things, you would be so much more successful in that endeavor and you'd be so much more successful with other people. And the other thing I found too is that let's say someone tells you things and they don't exactly line up with what they wrote down and they've shared with you, people are much more apt to approach them because now they have something they can share with them and say, see, I did it this way and you got mad at me. Like, I don't understand it. And the other person could say, well, you did this and it's not quite that way. And it's much easier at that point even to have a conversation about it because you have something to bring up rather than having it be out of the blue and be confrontational. Yeah, no, really, really great insights. Thanks for sharing. So let's focus a little bit more on teamwork. So you talked about the foundation for teamwork is having trust in these great relationships. I don't think I've ever heard anybody talk about how much they love their job and the people if teamwork wasn't part of that, that they feel like they're part of the team that makes them feel like the work's important, supporting the the purpose of the organization, all of those things. Where do you see the greatest successes in fostering teamwork? I started to look at research uh, when I was doing my TED talk to try to figure out, okay, well, where are people really making breakthroughs that anyone could use and it'd be easy to do and it'd be super quick to skyrocket trust with people, whether you had an existing relationship or not. And so I came across this research by Professor Arthur Aaron that he did back in 1997. He was looking to build interpersonal closeness. And I actually found it from an article in the New York Times where a woman went to a bar on a first date with a guy, asked him 36 questions and then fell in love and got married. And I was like, well, any woman who can go to a bar and get a guy to ask 36 (laughs) questions on the first date, one, that's pretty amazing. And two, the fact that they got married, there has to be something here. And so, of course, I clicked on it. I thought it was clickbait, right? I mean, I I almost thought to myself, well, I'm probably a sucker for clicking on this. (laughs) And it went to a research study. What ended up happening in the research study was he got 54 grad students that were complete strangers that didn't know anything about each other to sit across the table and ask each other 36 questions over 45 minutes. So you don't get that much information, but you get enough, right? And these were very vulnerable questions. Like one of the last questions was, tell me three things you like about me, which is super hard to answer with a complete stranger when you don't really know them that much and you don't have that much information. 
But what happened at the end of this, which is amazing, and they've replicated this study so many times, is that 30% of the people said they created the closest relationship in their life. And to me, that was incredible. I mean, with a complete stranger, that means I could take anyone listening to this, go to a coffee shop, and they'd find a best friend. And mm. I've done it before. And what I found was, okay, well, how would this work if it were in a group? And how would this work with people who knew each other? And so I got an acquaintance of mine to get together with people that he knew, and none of them could be connected with me on Facebook or LinkedIn, so they wouldn't know me at all. And I used his questions initially, and I went and did this, and I was planning of an hour, right, and to go through the questions. And literally, I thought it was like on a reality TV show on like Bravo. I couldn't believe the things people were sharing with me and how engaged and how like they were eating this up. And I got done with these questions. I only did 12 of them, like the first 12. And I was like, well, thanks. You know, I, it's great. You know, I appreciate it. And they were literally, you can't leave. Like we have to play the other questions. So I sat there for three hours in a restaurant going through them. And if I would have had more, they would have stayed longer. And I thought, this is maybe something here. Well, I did it two more times to validate it. And it literally the same thing happened um, both times. And what I found is that when you share in a group of people, it's extremely powerful because not only do you connect with people on an experiential level, you do an emotional level. And you don't have to connect with everyone, just a couple people, but you apply it to the group. And you're willing to dive in the deep end of the ocean from the first question. You don't have to warm people up. And so that to me has been amazing because I've had now over 30,000 people I know have played it, but it's actually, I know a lot more than that. And I've done it at conferences, events. I've done it at companies where people have known each other. I've done it in groups of 500 or 1,000. And the other way it's effective is that I did it at Google um, a couple of years ago for an offsite with like 700 people. And I, what happened is, is that all these people did it in groups and it spread across every group. So everyone treated each other like they were in the same group and, and they all like really the trust level and sharing went through the roof. And these were international people, remote people, all different types of people all thrown together. And it was random. But the fact is you share all this information. The thing about it is, is that when you ask five or six of these questions I created, and I ask people in audience, because they speak all the time, how many of your coworkers would know the answer to the questions that were here? I, no one almost ever raises my hand. And so when they never raise their own hand about that, people at work don't know them at all. And then I'll ask questions. I ask, how many people in your personal life could answer all of these questions? They would know the answers. And still, I didn't really get that many hands. So... What happens when people know these answers and why this works is psychologically the people who ask in-depth questions such as, tell me about the person that's helped you the most in life that you'd like to thank. What did they do and why? Tell me the biggest blessing in the skies you had in the last five years. Tell me the most important lesson you've learned this year. And there's lots of other ones. Well, the only people who would ask you questions like that are the people that are closest to you and that you love and trust. So when other people do it that are strangers or people that you don't have that relationship with, 
they put you in their inner circle. And what happens is it opens up a door and an opportunity to build off of that, right? It's not the end, it's a start. And you don't have the time element, right, that those other people that are closest to you have, but you do have a moment to start increasing it because people are willing to do it because they see things in you that they see in themselves and they see that they're not alone and they see that you're willing to go deep and care about them. Yeah. I love that. I love that you get these people, these teams talking and getting to know each other and getting to build that relationship. So um, what you were referencing, just to clarify for our audience, was the game, right? The the card game that you created? Yeah, Can Cards you- Against Mundanity is the one that I created with people. And in essence, it's, you know, it's, it's a question and answer game where you take a card and everyone answers the question, right? And when you're doing it in a team, I have the senior leader go first because they need to show that they're vulnerable and then everyone else goes. You know, you just go around and you just answer the same question. You can pick out super deep questions. I have questions in there like, you know, what superpower um, would you like to have? And if you had an actor play you on TV, right? Like what would that (laughs) actor or actress be? You know, there are fun things in there. It doesn't all have to be super deep things, but the people who love it, honestly, the most are more introverts or ambiverts because they want to have more of these conversations. They just don't want to have the small talk and they don't want to have to go through the BS to get to the things they love the most because those conversations wear them out. They don't energize them like an extrovert. So these are a conduit for them to really get to what matters. I I played around with using, you know, what's your superpower for a while. But then I was like, well, what if I just ask a question? What's the most important lesson you've learned in the last year, which is significantly more vulnerable and deep? Well, I actually found it worked better going deeper, faster than warming people up because they really didn't need to. And these were people that were either complete strangers or I did them with people that knew each other for a while or at some period of time. It works exceptionally well. And and the other thing about this too is the questions you can use with external people like clients, prospects, and partners. And for those, you want to ask questions that are more uplifting, right? So what are you most grateful for in your life today, right? Who's the person that's made the biggest impact on you? Um, who was it and what did they do? And if you ask questions like that from people, you build a lot of trust with them and you get a lot of insights in how they tick. And so that is pretty exceptional to have because then people feel closer to you in the process. And you only have to ask a couple of them in an instance like that. And you could just say to someone, look, I have a game to play. Um, it's a fun little game that I got. Would you mind playing a couple rounds? It's a question and answer. And no one will ever say no because of of fear of missing out on what it is. And then they'll do at least that many, and that's all you need. Um, And then they're off to the races. Great. And we'll make sure for our audience that we include a link. And if you want to purchase some where you can get it. And I think just that you shared, you know, over 30,000 teams are using them. That's pretty impressive in regards to uh, how effective they are. So in addition to maybe using your cards or creating ways to have that authentic conversations and get people to be vulnerable. And I love how you said starts with the leaders because they can really set the tone. Are there any other quick hits or suggestions uh, that you could share with our audience 
in how they can help build trust with their teams? The other thing that people don't do is after a milestone or a big event is to do what the Navy SEALs do, right? And the, one of the things they do is they get everyone together and they ask five questions. You know, what were our, our intended results or actual results? What did we do well? What didn't we do great? And what lessons can we do moving forward? And you start out with the most junior person in the room and go all the way around. Because that's really helpful to get ideas from everyone else on what you can do better on your team, right? Another thing is just as an individual person is to even ask your manager, not how could I do better, but how could I do twice as good, right? I mean, so you can blow it out and they can give you specific stuff. So I think part of this relies on people starting to ask these questions as well. And there are a lot of things individually that you can start to do and ask people on your team, right? Everyone's heard of a 360 review. Well, you can do your own by sitting down with people and asking them questions such as, so what do you think, you know, I, I should do more of? What do you think I should do less of to be more effective? And how you get them to do it is saying, look, I want to get better. And the only way I can get better is candid feedback from people I trust and care about and they know my work. And so I want hard feedback and I'm going to listen and I'm not going to get defensive or anything else. I, I want this. Otherwise, I'm going to continue to do the same things I'm doing and not know because no one will tell me. The other thing to do peer recognition and do it in groups. One is that you can go around and do it once a month and thank someone on the team for helping you and, and say, how did they help you and what did they do? And the other thing you can do is give everyone five minutes to either text or email someone outside the group that helped them and thank them and tell them why you're thankful and what they did to help you. And just write something short and have everyone in the group do it because it's really powerful because everyone is now spreading great energy around the company um, and it's free and you're making an impact with other people and telling them that. So it's actually helping everyone perceive your team or group as someone that's grateful for the help. And people love that recognition. And it's shown to increase performance through a lot of research studies um, that when you do those activities. So, I mean, those are just two, but there's a lot of other peer recognition things you can do that don't require a company recognition program itself. Those are awesome tidbits, suggestions, easy to implement. So, Great. Would our audience also find additional information in your book? Would that be another good resource? My book's about building great professional relationships and really understanding how to do it. And it's a blueprint of doing it. It even covers things like how to do it at a conference. But part of it is just understanding how do you think through building the relationship with someone and starting to ask them questions and what's required of you and some of the mindsets in psychology that you need to have yourself and how to view it and things that you can do to be helpful. So it's a more of a how-to guide that someone can use and get through quickly and also use as like a manual. You can just sort of look and flip to the chapter and it will tell you okay. literally what to say, what to do, and how to go about doing it. What are some of the barriers to the success of implementing some of the things you just um, shared with us, you know, these efforts to build relationships and trust? 
Well, the ch- one of the challenges is is that when it's not driven by a top-down movement, right? So let's say you're someone who's listening to the leader or manager, you have to do these things a little bit more frequently to reinforce them um, on a weekly basis because they're not being reinforced by the organization. The other thing I think is that you constantly have to ask for feedback as a leader and do it in your one-on-ones and then share with people um, the progress on it because a lot of times leaders won't do that and they won't do it on a team and people won't do it and they'll follow the leader when it comes to how the team organizes itself. I think the other thing is if you don't share and you don't open up and you don't support people, you can't have a great team. If you look at May's um, 2019 issue researched by Marcus Buckingham, he showed that when you look at a team um, and you measure trust on a scale of one to five, one being actively distrusting people and five is active trust. If you don't have a five with every person on the team, your engagement level is a one. So even if you have a four in terms of trust, the engagement level is a one because you don't really buy into everyone else. You don't feel like everyone really has your back when the chips are down. And that's required for you to do great work. When I've interviewed and worked with the top 1% sales teams and a lot of organizations and did a lot of research on it, that's one thing they all had. They weren't necessarily the smartest people overall, I thought, when I walked away. They just worked exceptionally well together and brought the most out of each other and helped each other. So that made up for a lot. But the bar is really high when it comes to trust. And that becomes the problem is that we don't take enough time to build it, to foster it and nurture it over time And so that can erode really quickly um, because then you don't have psychological safety and people won't speak up. And then all that starts to lower the performance levels. Mm, Some very good things for us to think about. And I I like how you said it has to start with the leader. Uh, One of our prior guests, uh, Lisa Doyle, talked about creating your own authentic leadership story that leaders would share. And those that will do it at the highest level just start to create this whole different environment underneath of them. And they can't expect other people to do it unless they really are being the role model. So I love that you touched on that. Because that's vulnerable, right? Because I think what it is, is that people talk about storytelling and I think, yeah, that matters, but I think it's more about telling your story and being vulnerable in moments to share with people and the teams. So they see that people are going to stumble. They're going to make mistakes. That's inevitable, but it's the resiliency and grit and determination that are the factors that are going to matter the most because it's how you're going to deal with the situations you fail at or don't perform at the level that you want to do. Yeah, great. Well, one of the things that I see that teams can struggle with is how to manage conflict. So you can have a really strong team and you've got, you know, created this foundation and they know each other, enjoy working with each other, but then conflict happens and they don't have a really good process or approach to work through it and trust can break down and teamwork breaks down. Any suggestions that you would have to help high-performing teams manage conflict? Well, one of the things that happened, I had a couple of clients of mine ask me to help 
teams in conflict and they were high performing teams that they already had brought in someone else in conflict management and it didn't work. I've taken a little bit of a, I guess, a counter approach to it in the fact that when you have a problem like that, you have very low trust on the team. Usually what happened is that there's a conflict that happened between a few people that really wasn't that big, like a few years in the past that now is snowballed forward because no one brought it up and no one discussed it. And then around that, they've created all these other stories, right? That had become so large that now the divide between them is huge. So the first thing you need to do is stop the distrust and start to build trust where people are more open to saying, well, maybe it, there's more to this conflict than what I perceive it to be. So I started to use the game, actually. And the reason I did it was to try something different. And what I found is that when you do it in a group full of people, people will start revealing information about themselves that can help you understand their patterns, the things that are challenging for them. So you can seek to understand them more and you can start to connect with them and realize they're a lot more like you than you thought that they were. And then I think the other part of this thing that can start to help you is to dig in your own self-awareness and think to yourself, okay, what role did I play in all of this, right? And then it, you can talk to the other people about saying, look, you can even say the story in my head I'm making up is we've had a bad, we're having a poor relationship because you just don't like me, right? You think that I'm dumb or you just think like that you're so much smarter or whatever, and then you can say, look, I want to build a better relationship, but this is, this is the story that's in my head that I'm making up. And then you give the other person a chance to start talking to you about that and have a conversation to work towards figuring out where things have gone awry. You can take ownership over this by having a hard conversation with someone and showing them that you care, that you're open and start to build the relationship from a trust point of view and to dig in there. And then the other thing you can do is like a how to work with manual is saying, look, well, in order to reset this, why don't we try to figure out and really telegraph how we like to work, how we like to communicate rather than guessing. Let's just go back to the basics. Here's an option. Let's do this. If you have other suggestions, I'm open for it because I want to do whatever it takes to make sure we're not back in that place and that we improve not only for you and me, but the effect it has on the team, the group, everywhere else. And look, you can work through this conflict pretty fast. Like I've done it with people that have for years in, in a couple months and, and made it significantly better. Someone can do this easily in a matter of weeks if they roll up their sleeves and get to a better place. And I go back to something you said earlier, too, is, you know, the practice of the, the Navy SEALs, those five questions, the debrief, because if you can find out when things didn't go as well or what lessons learned and what you can do differently when things, you know, are not perfect and you work on those is so much better. I was on a team and we were so busy, we didn't spend as much time debriefing and so we'd repeat issues and then that would become more frustrating. So I really like those insights. Great. Okay, so a question I ask everyone, and, and I'm really excited because it's one of the questions you brought up, too, is, uh, you know, for you, Jason, who is the one person that's had the greatest impact on your professional life? And why wouldn't you be where you are today without that person's influence? You know, 
It's probably really my mom because she had to work extremely hard. She was one of the first nurse anesthesiologists ever. She, you know, got leukemia when I was like probably nine years old. And it simultaneously, they told her she had to get her college degree. She didn't finish college in order to keep practicing. So she had to fly from Chicago to Detroit once a month to go to school back in her, like, I think late thirties, early forties in order um, to get her degree. And, you know, all through my mom's career, she's been doing pretty amazing things and how to work in difficult environments. And I think it's a lot of grit, determination, learning, willingness, um, work ethic, and just to keep striving for greatness at all the time, even in front of insurmountable odds. She had really bad leukemia. It was a point where there were life or death things, but instead of letting it paralyze her, she continued to live her life. But then she also was looking for like, how can I get better stuff? So she went to Sloan Kettering in New York. So it was um, just radical shifts in how you think um, in order to produce extraordinary results in your life and, and to not sit there and feel sorry for yourself, but instead just to take massive action and do the best you can every day. Yeah, very inspiring. Very, very good. So what final piece of advice do you have for our talent champions? We've covered so much, but anything come to mind as far as final advice? I think the key is, is that you have to make, you have to help the people around you get better and you have to know them and you have to know, understand how to work with them and get the best out of them. Because in today's world, it's about the team. It's not just about your effort. And if you can't get the best out of people and create that connection of belonging, you have a really hard time being successful in today's workforce because that's the expectation. So I think it's, Realizing how to build trust this conversation, I think it is working really hard and building your softer power skills up, looking at your leadership and management abilities and, you know, focusing on the hard skills and soft, you know, soft skills that you need there. And I think if you start to do those things, you are going to see some radical improvements in your life and your success and the results and frankly, the happiness and fulfillment that you get out of the things that you do. And for our talent champions, in many cases, they are the employee advocate and they do have the ear of top leaders. So, you know, what Jason just shared, not only doing it for yourself because you want to be the best leader and role model, but if there's a way that you can influence the top leaders to do more of those things, I think that would really be a huge win for the employees in the company. I've had sales managers I've worked with that you know, I said to them, the key thing is not don't focus just on what you do well and focus on blowing out results, but simultaneously help the people around you to do exceptionally well. And I had one client of mine who did that really well for a year. And what ended up happening is not only did he get promoted, but there were a lot of other things positively that happened because it's not only that people recognize his efforts, but the, the other people that were his peers actually spoke up and raved about the person and said how much they helped them, right? Well, when that happens, 
the people in any organization are like, that person's a rock star and superstar because if they're inspiring the people and helping them around, not only do you want this person and compensate them well, like we don't want to lose them because there isn't anyone else that we can replace them with. Love it. Great, great information. So how can our listeners get in touch with you and continue to learn more? So you can go to my website. It's jasontroy.com. That's Jason, T-R-E-U, um, you know, dot com. And you can also send me an email at jason at jasontroy.com. And uh, there's links to the game, Cards Against Mundanity, my book on Amazon, social media, blog and services and pretty much anything else. So. Terrific. Well, I really enjoyed having you as a guest. Thank you so much for just sharing such a wealth of information and, and great information for our audience. Well, thank you for having me on the show. Here's a summary of the key points from today's episode. Employee engagement strives to get the most out of every individual employee, ensuring they're the most productive and delivering the behaviors needed to support your business. There are so many ways to measure engagement, but Jason stresses the importance of a top-down philosophy that creates an environment that brings out the best in everyone. Engaging employees is about figuring out what people really want. Cool office space and perks may be nice things to have, but it all comes down to two key factors. One, people want to do great work that makes an impact. Two, people want to feel like they matter to the people around them. Measure engagement frequently and talk to people continually. Doing so will give you the vital perspective on how things are going. The basis of every relationship is trust, and it's a critical foundation when you're trying to build engagement. Trust enables psychological safety in which people feel comfortable taking risks and making mistakes. Intentionally building trust takes vulnerability and a willingness to share personal experiences. A how-to work with me manual can be a powerful tool for teams. Using a series of questions, the manual contains everything from communication preferences to pet peeves. Many of these factors wouldn't normally come up in a regular interaction, but can be powerful when it comes to building trust and resolving conflict. Jason's question-based game, Cards Against Mundanity, is a tool that you can use to build deep connections between team members. We'll add a link for you to download the game on our website. Go to the note pages for episode 32. Debriefing after a milestone or significant event is another tool to help build teamwork and trust. Jason shared five questions used by the Navy SEALs. What were our intended results? What were our actual results? What did we do well? What didn't we do well? And what lessons can we learn moving forward? Another idea that's easy to implement is to encourage peer feedback. It can be as simple as asking everyone to thank someone in the company that's helped them. When dealing with conflict, get to the root of the distrust. There may be a lack of self-awareness or a lack of fundamental distrust that's been feeding a conflict over time. Encourage openness between team members to help resolve the issue and move forward. On our next episode, we'll provide you with even more resources to encourage engaged teams using powerful questions. 
Join us in two weeks to learn about the art and value of inquiry. If you'd like to receive an email notification when the episode comes out, please visit our website, talent-champions.com, and click on subscribe to join our mailing list. You can also rate, review, and subscribe in your podcast player of choice. Doing so helps us reach even more talent champions like yourself. Thanks for listening to Talent Champions with Diana Thomas. Be sure to check out the full Franklin Covey Podcast Network by searching Franklin Covey on your favorite podcast provider. <music>